0: morning officially again to everyone. I cannot tell you, well, I guess I can, um, you might not believe me, how beautiful you all sound. It's one of the pleasures of sitting in the front of the room uh, is you get to hear everyone's voice and, uh, oh man, it is, it is just incredible to be a part of that with all of you. As I watched that clip again um, this morning, I, I, a thought came to my mind because... Um, We in the church, and and some of you know this, uh, uh, sometimes we're some of the biggest um, whiners and complainers on planet Earth about things. Let's just be real. Um, We are. And I got to thinking about that and watching that. And instead of whining and complaining and grumping and fussing about everything going on around us, why aren't we just simply looking for ways to add Jesus into all of those situations? Why aren't we simply just looking to Him and saying, God, I don't understand all this, but instead of whining and complaining and arguing and fighting, and all, why can't we just figure out s- simple little ways to add Jesus to the moments that we're in when that happens? So consider that um, as, as you move forward. Welcome. It is Back to Church Sunday, and I get to talk a little bit about that today because it is a very special Sunday. It's believed there's a, somewhere in the neighborhood, probably a lot more, uh, 2.3 billion Christians in the world today. That's a big number. That's a really big number. And well, I know that we gather uh, each week and when we gather, there are billions literally across the planet gathering with you. You know, as a believer, to say that you're alone, oh wow, you gotta get that bigger global perspective because oh wow, there are people. Everywhere across this planet, worshiping with you this morning. But as we gather to worship, to pray, to hear the proclamation of the gospel, the word of God, there's something special about this Sunday. It was actually something I saw several years ago, but uh, never really had a chance to do much with. We did a little something with it in youth group. But then when I arrived here, I just saw this really cool thing called Back to the Church Sunday. And it's just this, it's an organization that, that puts it all together. And there's literally tens of thousands of churches across this country that promote this intentionally as a back-to-church Sunday for people. It's kind of the end of the summer season. In the last two years, it's had even greater meaning with the impact of the pandemic. Now, we should always be reaching out as the church. We should always be welcoming those from our community back to church or possibly to the church for the very, very first time. We live in a world where many, many, many of the people that you and I choose to share Jesus with have never heard his name before at least not in the way we're going to present it. And that is important to understand. Long gone are the days where we can, well, probably they know. No, actually you can probably say the opposite. Probably they don't No. So as we begin today, I want to let you in on a little not so well-kept secret because we started talking about a little, month, a little over a month ago, but then somebody decided to throw a little wrench in the plans and, and have a heart attack and mess all the schedule up. And so... Um, That was me. But anyway, um, I want to let you know, next week, I am super excited. As a matter of fact, as I wrote this week, not next week's sermon, but the week after, I wanted to just keep writing because it was just kind of just uh, just flowing, just ready to go and just keep on, on going. We get to start a series in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. I've never taught all the way through the gospel of Luke before, so this will be a new thing for me, but Luke is an incredible, incredible, incredible gospel, Now, my favorite gospel is the gospel of John, and and I'll explain that to you on on another time. But but Luke is an incredible thing, and I can't wait to share with you some of the things I've even learned uh, next week as we just talk about Luke the man and and the book itself. We're going to take a detailed, careful look at investigation into the person of Luke, the life, the ministry, and, of course, the person that is Jesus Christ. And as we celebrate today this idea of Back to Church Sunday and getting people back into the church or to the church for the first time, or you continue to have conversations with those that you know that don't know Jesus yet, I can't think of a better way to keep moving that forward than with a really, really close look at our Savior, Jesus. So today is the perfect moment absolutely for God to be invited back into people's lives. Sure, it is, and into the life of the church As God presents people into your life, then you have a chance now to invite them in to hear about your Savior, because we're going to be taking a very specific look at them. And the reality is the times that we're living definitely could be confusing to those. I know they're confusing for us within the church. Can you imagine not knowing Jesus through all of this and the lack of hope and the lack of certainty in their lives as they move forward? They could be confused. They could be fearful We're going to be presenting the absolute truth of Jesus Christ to them each and every week like we always do. We're going to be offering them the peace that passes all understanding. That's what they're going to hear when they come, and you can be certain of that. We're going to pray that the love of God is what they will experience from the moment they come to this property Wherever they're at, wherever greet them, don't be ashamed. Don't forget to greet people in the parking lot when you pull in yourself or when you're leaving and you're in the parking lot. I can tell you a real quick personal story. The reason we went to a church was because my daughter was getting ready to go into preschool and we wanted her to meet some friends. The reason we came back to the church the next week was because when we were in the parking lot, a random couple came up and said, hi, I don't think we've seen you here before. And we said, hi, you're right. (laughs) You haven't. Jason and Raina Gates were their name. I can still remember them. And we came back the next week just because of one interaction. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. God can use these things to change people's eternity. Don't forget the simplest thing you could do could alter someone's eternity. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Today's the final week, though, in this series. Hope is here. I, get, I can't wait to start Luke next week. If we had time, I'd just go ahead and do the first week now, but I won't I won't do that. You'll be hungry. It'll be bad. You'd get angry. Um, it's it's been encouraging. It's been encouraging these last 3 weeks to gather and this being the 4th as a church to uncover just a few of the ways that we find hope. In our relationship first and foremost with Jesus Christ that is number 1, but then secondary to that is our relationships with one another. And that very first week we learned that there's hope for the weary because we don't have to go through this life and carry our burdens on our own. The second week we discovered that there is hope For the broken. Many of us have experienced that in our lives because of the forgiveness offered in his love. The third week we recognize that there's hope for the underdog. Those of us that feel there's no way we can continue on, because with God we can literally do anything. And today is the final week of this series. It's the one of the hardest places to find hope in this world. It's a reality called doubt. (laughs) There's hope. For those that doubt, have you ever had a piece of information presented to you that you just had a hard time believing to be true? It just didn't seem quite right. Maybe it was so far out there that it made you doubt that it was true. Or maybe it was too good to be true. You've heard that expression, right? And it usually is. If it's too good to be true, it probably isn't, right? So it made you skeptical, And for good reason, in our culture today, doubt has become a very common occurrence within our culture because um, we know people that have failed us, so it's hard to trust. There's so much misinformation, false information, and outright lies that exist out there in the world of social media and beyond that it's caused us to literally doubt everything it has not it that we hear and see. And in this past season of COVID-19, it's caused so many to doubt because they wonder, where's God in all of this? How does this all fit together, God? I don't understand. They can't make sense of it. If God is indeed good, why is all of this happening? You see, people doubt for all kinds of reasons. Now, what I would argue is the problem is not with the doubt itself, but rather how we handle our doubts Mishandled skepticism, doubt often results ultimately in a lack of hope in our life. Now, we're certainly not alone in this struggle. After Jesus' crucifixion, even his very own disciples were in the midst of doubt for sure and uncertainty, if not complete dismay, having no idea what was going on. They were heartbroken, their hopes, their dreams of of living in this new world under their Messiah, their new kingdom, God's kingdom had now been ended at least in their eyes. And it wasn't until Jesus miraculously reappeared to a few that word started to spread, and his disciples perhaps began to gain hope that Jesus was, in fact, alive. But there was one who we've spoke about before. It's found in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Go ahead, grab your Bible. It's a short story we're gonna be covering today. If you don't have your Bible or a device, grab one. There's some under the seats around you. If you don't have a Bible, please take that with you. Those are a gift to you. Please take that with you. When you leave today, when they gathered and Jesus made himself known, there was one who wasn't with them, and his name was Thomas. It's recorded this way in the book of John. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, hey, Thomas, we've seen Jesus. To which I can imagine, really, Thomas said, yeah, right, (laughs) whatever, okay, sure you did. I believe you. Thomas replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hands in his side, I will not believe, period. Now, Thomas gets a bad rap in the church. He does. As a matter of fact, his name is still used as an expression to this very day by people who have no idea who Thomas even was. If you're a doubting Thomas, this is where it came from. Explain that to someone sometime. And then explain to them how his mind was changed. That's what we're talking about today. He gets this bad rap within the church as if he's just some kind of doubter. He's viewed as this grumpy old cynic. You must remember, he might have been a teenager. He wasn't old at all. But if we're truthful, Thomas came to this place of skepticism in a really honest way. He just watched, in some capacity, his mentor of three years be brutally murdered on a cross. The thought of getting his hopes up about a resurrection, a resurrection that would defy 100% of all logic and be completely impossible, it might have just been a little too much for his mind to grasp. I don't blame him. I would have been right there beside him. He was more than likely just looking to protect himself. He doesn't want to be hurt anymore. So he says, hey, unless I see the evidence, unless I can touch it and see it right here, I'm not going to believe. You see, we often doubt things in this world to protect ourselves. It's actually a, not a bad defense mechanism sometimes. It keeps us from getting hurt, doesn't it? Truthfully, in a lot of ways, we're a lot like Thomas. The doubt that we often express is a way of keeping ourselves from getting our hopes up, that maybe our lives can't improve, or maybe that God will, in fact, answer our prayers, or that God even loves us. Thomas didn't want to believe that Jesus was alive because he didn't want to be let down. Like he just was with Jesus' death. We often don't want to believe and hope because we're afraid that God might not even come through for us, especially if we start thinking about our past. <laughs> if you think about your life, when somebody comes and shares some good news or something with you, oftentimes, what's your first response? Do you say, all right, that's awesome? Or you say, uh, no way. No, I don't, I don't, I don't, you gotta be kidding me. That's our natural, instinctual response to good news in this world. It occasionally takes a little while to let hope arise within us. So after a week, Jesus leaves poor Thomas hanging for a week. Thomas tells the others he refuses to believe the reports, and at the end of this week, he and his disciples, their friends, that they all find themselves together locked in that room again, when suddenly that source of hope arrives again. In verse 26, It said this way, a week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them, first saying, peace be with you, actually commanding that peace be with them. Then he said to Thomas, the first one he speaks to, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. There's no explanation here. Jesus in the flesh just shows up amongst them. He shows up in this locked room with the disciples, which just like the first time he did it, completely freaked all of them out. They're scared to death and he has to remind them, hey guys, chill out. It's just me. Relax, peace be with you. Perhaps to let them know again that they didn't have to be afraid in that moment. But he doesn't address anyone else. He doesn't address the obvious things in the room. He literally first looks right at Thomas, the one and the only one in the room that doubts that Jesus is alive. He looks directly at him and speaks to him first. The one who refused to believe. Notice how he addresses him. Jesus doesn't reprimand him. He doesn't make fun of him. He doesn't belittle him for his skepticism. He doesn't ridicule him for needing proof. No, as a matter of fact, what does he do? He grants Thomas's request instantly to erase whatever doubt may have existed. He invites him to put his fingers and his scars and his hands and his side. You see, Jesus is not afraid of my or your doubt. Not in the least. But there's too many churches that oftentimes people in the church are struggling with their faith. They've lost hope that Jesus is who they thought he was. But the usual response in the church is oftentimes to look at those who have this doubt and to shame them or to shun them, to put them aside, come on, you just need more faith. You just, you just got to believe. Uh, I don't see that. How, that's how Jesus responded in this situation and I think he would respond very differently today. I believe Jesus welcomes our questions. He would welcome the conversation. And the reason I believe that is because he knows that honest doubt will lead us to honest answers. So how should the church respond to those who have doubts in a way that would be similar to Jesus' response to Thomas? Well, first we could do this. We could listen. You Just listen. Listen to those who doubt. Listen to what they're saying, yes, but listen to what they're not saying as well. Where's this doubt really coming from? Where's the hurt that exists in their life? Where's the pain? Where's the struggle? And when you show us a congregation, a church that's willing to listen, then you're going to find a church that's providing hope to the hopeless. The second thing a church should do would be to empathize, to express compassion with those that are struggling with people themselves feel others hurt. When you and I take on others when we carry one another's burdens, as the scriptures suggest, then we're better equipped to meet that need, to help bridge a, build a bridge for that individual back to hope, back to Christ. And Jesus wasn't afraid of Thomas's doubts at all. We shouldn't be afraid of other people's doubts either. We go from being full of doubt to being full of hope when we realize, when we find out that there's someone out there in this world that actually genuinely cares about us enough to walk along with us and love us through whatever difficulty we're going through. Thomas, does, Thomas does, he reaches out, he touches Jesus' hands and sides where these wounds once were. And now there's only Scars. It was a reminder of the pain that Jesus went through, but it was proof of the resurrection. And Thomas says these famous words in verse 28, to Jesus Christ, his Savior, my Lord and my God, he cries out before him as he falls to his feet. And Jesus looks at him and loves him, obviously, and he says, because you have seen me, you believed, congratulations, well done. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This is all Thomas needed. He recognizes that if Jesus can overcome death in the grave, then surely he is in fact Lord and God. The disciple who was the greatest doubter now offers the greatest proclamation, the greatest truth of who Jesus actually is in all of Scripture in those few simple words. It's an incredible thing. And Jesus is absolutely thankful for Thomas's witness in this moment, for his faith, if you will, but guess who Jesus is thinking about when he's speaking here? He's thinking about me. And he's thinking about you. He's thinking about those of us that we that would we be blessed for believing in his resurrection even though we've not physically seen his presence. It's an incredible thing. We fail to doubt when we trust the source. If you think about your life and the things you have confidence in, the reason you have confidence in those things is because of the source of those things, whatever they may be. Thomas had firsthand evidence that directly came from the source, causing his doubts to melt away. Our doubts can also turn to hope when we go directly to the source and find that Jesus is trustworthy. The first-hand accounts in Scripture are full of examples of Jesus' resurrection and what he did afterwards. And wouldn't you know that next week we're going to possibly the greatest book in all of Scripture to describe these first-hand accounts of every element of Jesus' life. Why? Well, Luke very specifically says, so that we may be certain of what we believe. Being certain means not have any doubt. (laughs) Yeah, what a fitting Ending to this series to start the next one, right? The truth, the church, the church throughout all of history has seen Jesus work in miraculous ways. And I'm telling you right now, there are people in this room who have a testimony to share, who have found Jesus to be very, very real in their lives. And they would love to share their stories with you if you need some persuading. When Jesus is a source of our hope, we don't have to be crippled by doubt any longer. Even when we feel... Our faith begins to be a little uneasy, or our confidence begins to be shaken. Knowing Jesus helps us press on and press through. I came across an illustration from an author that probably some of you in the room have no idea who they are. He's a very famous 20th century author named Robert Louis Stevenson. Some of you know exactly who that is. Other of you are like, what? I know couple of famous books you might have read, Treasure Island, whether you wanted to or not, or you've at least heard of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There's a couple for you. He writes of one of his excursions to the South Sea Islands, where his ship encounters a terrible storm. And in the belly of the ship, all the passengers grew frightened and, and worried that the ship, of course, would be lost. They were filled with doubt about their safety. So one of the men from the group decided to go up to deck and see what was going on. He saw the captain quietly pacing the bridge with a tranquil and a undisturbed face. He looked out across the sea and he gave orders for the ship. He turned to the man that came up from down below and smiled. The man made his way back to the cabin where the other passengers were all huddled together for in fear of their lives. And in response to their questions, he comforted them by saying simply this, I've seen the captain's face and all is well. When we recognize that Jesus is here with us, in the middle of our doubts and the chaos and the uncertainty of this world, we discover that our hope is here. All we need to do is look into the face of Jesus and know that all is well. If you find yourself weary today because of circumstances that you cannot control or situations that maybe you are completely responsible for, I want to offer you that hope today. I want to offer you hope for a better tomorrow, hope for a true purpose, hope for a clean slate, hope for peace, and hope for rest, because it is all found in Jesus. Because when He is here, hope is here. If this world has left you broken... And defeated, then I want to invite you with all of your broken pieces to bring them to God and to ask you a question Do you believe that God can make something beautiful of your life? Now, the reality is, you just have to trust Him. You don't have to believe that He can actually even do it. Just give them to Him and say, I trust you. If you're caught in a situation where there seems to be no way out, a battle that you just cannot win or facing obstacles that you simply cannot figure out how to overcome, then we want you to know that there is hope for victory in your life. Even though you cannot see how God might possibly be able to come through, faith is simply believing that it's possible. He'll take care of the details. He longs to be invited in to help you through anything that you might be facing. Because when Jesus is here, hope is here. So as we close today, we're going to wrap up a number of things into one. Hopefully you got a communion cup on your way in. I know if you're visiting today, then you might say, what What are these crazy things? Well, these are just little communion cups and in our church uh, the, 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 uh, our leadership believes that Scripture teaches that when we gather, we should partake of the Lord's Supper. We know people come from all different church backgrounds, and some of them, you took it monthly or yearly or quarterly or all those things. We just believe that every time we gather, we're to remember what Jesus has done in our lives. But there's more than just that. We'll get back to that here in just a second. We want to offer you as you come in today an opportunity to literally be welcomed home, If you've been looking for a church home, maybe you've been trying places out, maybe somebody randomly invited you this week and something happened within you today as you arrived and God said, you know, I think you should stay. We would love to use this moment as these next three songs are played to have you come forward and and do something we like to call be adopted. I think adoption is one of the most beautiful things on planet earth. (laughs) I truly, genuinely do. I've seen it firsthand in in the lives in my family. And uh, it's just amazing. And, and I believe, I know, this is exactly what God does to us. He adopts us, all of our flaws, all of our mistakes. He takes us all, just as we are, into his family. And we want to do offer the same to you. If you're a believer in Christ, we would love to adopt you into our family here at Berea. People used to call that church membership and joining the church. I like to flip the table and say, no, we want to adopt you and to be one of us. <laughs> We're just as messed up as everybody else. <laughs> We just got somebody greater than us that makes things right. And most importantly, if you've never accepted what we're about to take as your own, the sacrifice that Jesus made for you, if you've never claimed that as your identity in him, then we want to invite you to come forward today and say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is my savior, and I want him forever. And so if you've got your communion cup with you, if you could get that out real quick. We'll take this together before we pray. And then if you just need prayer, come forward. Let us pray with you. Join us in the prayer room over there. Let us pray with you. If you need to make a decision to, to join us here at Berea or to officially invite Jesus into your life, don't miss this moment, this Sunday, as we come back to church. As we remember the, the sacrifice that Thomas witnessed on some level, whether he was physically present or just heard the rumors of what happened to Jesus. He remembers the time when they sat up in that upper room the day before. And Jesus said, hey, guys, you don't get this. You don't understand it. You won't until later. But let me just tell you, here's what it's about to happen. My body is going to be broken for you. And if you're a believer, maybe it's been a long time since you've really reflected on what happened. Please take this moment to eat that bread and remind us what Jesus did. One of the things I love to do is is try to to get all of us to imagine being in Scripture. Imagine being, these are real people, real lives, real events. And so imagine being Thomas and being in that room as as Jesus appears to them. Having said what he said, I won't believe until I see those scars and touch that side. And and as Jesus invites him to do so, Thomas remembers that upper room and says, man, that's where the blood flowed. (laughs) That's what he was talking about. This is the blood that was shed for you and I for the forgiveness of sin. Please take. Father God, as we move into the next phase of the worship, we just pray that your spirit moves amongst your people. We know you're here. There's no doubt. But Father, will we open our hearts up to the movement of the spirit in our lives? We'll be open to its prompting. Father, there might be people in the room that have no idea what I'm even talking about. They don't need to. Father, you dwell within us. You dwell in our midst. And right now, you're speaking to people here. And it might be something as simple as, hey, you know what you're going through. Give it up to me. Bring it to the altar. Let someone pray with you. You know you've been thinking about this, Jesus, for a long time. It's time to make a decision. That still small voice just calling out to us. Father, if there's someone in the room that just needs a home, we pray that in spite of all of our flaws, your perfection can make this the right place for them. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for all that you do and have done.